BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson. And you know, common sense isn't that common anymore. And we're trying to spread it around and make it common again. And uh, we have some terrific hosts and co-hosts and guests on this program, on this series. My co-host is John Schneider. You know him as the founder of Papa John's Pizza, but also a great entrepreneur and friend. And our special guest today is David Sokol. He is the uh, the CEO of Teton Capital, uh, has been the CEO of NetJets, was uh, a principal of Berkshire Hathaway, and is a great friend and supporter. And uh, welcome to both of you today. You know, the whole cancel culture thing is becoming quite problematic because it's antithetical to the concept of freedom of speech. It's antithetical to freedom of anything. And we should issue it with enthusiasm. We should not have anything to do with it because it has nothing to do with what America was meant to be. And we have people who have become afraid to express themselves. And you see it all the time. Even amongst comedians, they're always saying, can I say that? Well, maybe I better not go there. And uh, that was like the basis of great comedy skits, you know, that you could say stuff. Maybe stuff that even might be a little bit off color, but it was funny. And we were able to laugh at ourselves. And uh, as we moved away from that, we've really become a much more coarse society. And you look at some of the things that are going on, people going out and just murdering large numbers of people because they have no relationship, they have no respect for other people's opinions, for other people's being at all. And uh, we're going to have to work very hard to stop that. And uh, David Sokol, uh, you, you were actually... Um, talked about in the New York Times over this last few days in respect to Clarence Thomas. They're trying very hard to cancel him. He's a good friend of both of us. What do you think about that? Well, Ben, you know, it's, it's horrible. I mean, first of all, cancel culture is just fundamentally immoral. 
you know, it's lying about someone. It's, it's the, you know, people have decided that if they can't debate someone legitimately, then let's destroy him. And, you know, I've been close friends as you have with, with Justice Thomas for decades. And he's one of the most decent human beings I know and uh, smart, does his job extraordinarily well. When I was writing a book a year or so ago, I, I was doing some, some research on where does this come from? You know, it's interesting that the Russians uh, invented a word, if you will, compromat back in the 1930s by their, their, their secret police. And it was described in their own documents as finding compromising materials, whether forged or fabricated, to destroy our opponents. That was in the 1930s, and it became an art form by the KGB later. And then Saul Alinsky wrote a very famous book, Rules for Radicals, in 1972. And interestingly, two of, of his real disciples politically were, were political organizers, and that was Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. But Saul Alinsky's rules, 10 rules for radicals, just give you an example. Rule number five is ridicule is man's most potent weapon. Whether factual or made up, there is no defense. It is almost impossible for your opponent to counterattack. And then later in his book, he describes how if you really want to win something, you have to believe that the end justifies the means. And I think all of those elements have become the underpinning of what today is known as cancel culture. Uh, and it's the extension of you know the politics of personal destruction, which started with the Russians and then our own folks here in the United States. And and you know examples are uh, John is an example. There, there's there's many people who have been wrongly accused of things, but you really saw it go crazy after the Robert Bork nomination to the Supreme Court in 1987, and then Clarence Thomas, you know, then Brent Kavanaugh more recently. But in each case. When they couldn't dismiss someone based on their credentials, they then decided to find make-believe items that would be so extraordinary and get so much attention that hopefully it would force the person not to be uh, not to be confirmed or not to be elected in, in other people's cases. And it is it will destroy our democracy if if we allow it to continue. Absolutely, no question about that. And you know. Uh... I'd like to ask both you, David, uh, and John, about the impact of DEI uh, in the business world. Uh, good, bad, ugly, what, what's, what should we be thinking about that? Well, I think, you know, to me, DEI is, is fundamental. Fundamentally, we just need to get to where we as a corporation, as a government, as a as a community, we just need to stop discriminating against people. Reverse discrimination is still discrimination. And, you know, if we, if we go back to the, the, the concept of hiring a person based on their talents and their capabilities, irrespective of all these other things, you know, we'll solve the divisions that have been, been created uh, amongst our people uh, very recently. But, but the, the left seems to be focused upon finding a way to divide us and keep us divided and attacking each other rather than actually wanting us to get past these differences. And I think DEI and, and these ESG principles 
um, have been taken to ridiculous levels. And, and frankly, I'm pleased that the Supreme Court uh, did away with affirmative action at the collegiate level and in school scholastics. I hope that follows into business. And I hope we just start hiring people based on their, their fundamental skills and talents. Well, David, you and I uh, both belong to uh, the Horatio Alger Society, uh, which emphasizes people working hard and coming up from difficult situations and achieving great success. It's something we used to talk about all the time in this country, something that the left doesn't particularly want to hear about anymore. Uh, I, I think that was perhaps uh, part of their impetus for trying to cancel me and remove my name from one of the high schools in Detroit, because my example was an example of somebody who came out of that environment and achieved success against the odds. They don't want those kind of stories anymore. So they just said, well, he's a member of the Trump administration, so we can't have that. But what they really don't want is the example of somebody who does not become a victim, who recognizes that we live in an amazing country, the United States of America. No matter how much people try to denigrate it, it is still the dream destination for people from all over the world. And if we were so bad, why are they all trying to get in here? They'd be trying to get out. It's a fantastic place, particularly if you get a good education. Them removing your name. I mean, think about the idiocy of a school district in D Detroit with some of the worst student outcomes in America. Removing your name from the one school that actually is the bright light in their entire school district. And they did it purely from their perspective because you had the audacity to agree to be secretary of housing and urban development and, and give, give of your time to, to, uh, to our government. And th that to me, it's exactly as you were saying, they didn't do it for that reason. They did it because you don't follow the narrative that they want you to follow. Uh, Justice Thomas uh, doesn't follow the narrative they want. And, uh, you know, it, it's really pathetic that there's a, there's a party in our country that wants to keep poor people poor, pander to them, pretend that they care about them, but constantly keep them under their thumbs so that they get those votes. Instead of Absolutely. doing what this nation should be doing, which is educating those young people and letting them follow the American dream. Well, John, what do, what do you think the impact of this is on children? when they see people being shut down because they don't conform? I think our, our youth is our future. And I think it's, it's our most important attribute and asset um, and characteristic of the American society, the American dream. And, you know, your independent critical judgment is, you know, if I don't challenge you, I weaken you. If you don't challenge me, you weaken me. And it's the debate, the tinkering, the trial and error that makes us all stronger together. But Einstein said it best, um, imagination is more important than intellect. And when you take an artist or an entrepreneur, they're already always questioning. They're always using their independent critical judgment. And the left's ideology is this is the way we think. This is what you should think. 
this is what we think. And, and so there's no um, challenging, there's no debate, there's no back and forth. And that runs against our liberties, you know, and, and our liberties promises that we go about our day without being, um, you know, uh, hassled and, um, you know, toyed with by our government, you know, it was a French concept. And you look at ESG and DEI, you know, there's two, there's three companies, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. They control over, um, over half of the markets. And when you, when you look at those three and you look at uh, ESG and DEI, um, it, it's almost like found a way with through capitalism, investment, pensions, our money, our investments, to again push on their ideology. And one thing we may do to solve that is we may have companies have to identify you know, I'm ESG or I'm non-ESG, because I think if the American public knew uh, what BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard were doing behind the scenes, pushing their ideology with our money, right. I think then that's how you get their attention. You say, well, we got their attention with Disney and, and um, Budweiser, uh, Ben and Jerry's, but you know, they've lost 20 billion in market cap. They've got $25 trillion. You know, 1% of 25 trillion is 250 billion. So it, they, it has to be a number that really uh, gets their attention. And I think until the public gets educated on the difference between companies that use their money for their own ideology versus what I think Americans really believe in, I think uh, we're gonna have a problem with uh, the, these three big players. We will be back in just a minute with our fascinating guest. Stay with us. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. back and uh, teachers unions have been pretty much taken over by people who have ideas that are not consistent with the founding ideals of our country and they seem to be set on indoctrinating the kids and of course if you look at the 45 aims of communists read into the 1963 congressional record, January the 10th, you know, one of them is to gain control of the teacher unions and the school system so you can indoctrinate the kids. And the kids are being taught such things as the need for a safe space, a place where you can go if somebody says something that hurts your feelings. Um, that doesn't seem like something that would produce a strong nation. If, uh, if our enemies discover that all they have to do is insult us to send us into a tizzy, uh, they're going to come up with some pretty devastating things to do. And I think 
some of what's going on, and I, I'd like to hear you, you two opine on this. Uh, I think some of what's going on is actually being foisted on us by those outside of our country who want to destroy our nation. Uh, you know, they have already confessed, uh, the Marxists in their writings, that the United States of America is too strong to bring down militarily, but they can be brought down from within. And that this may have something to do with that attempt to bring us down from within. Yeah, my, my, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm not sure. I, I think these outside forces are very real, and we know who they are. I think the bigger problem, however, is that they have a very fertile playing ground with the left and the progressives. And fundamentally, to me, it goes back to what is, I think, manifesting itself as a total disregard for our Constitution. You know, if you if you go back, and I know you have been, and, and John, and you, you, you read the Founding Fathers' dialogues back and forth when they debated how to set up our Constitution, which very admittedly is, you know, 250 years ago, um, they wanted it to be difficult for to make major changes to our Constitution. They wanted the, it to be hard to pass laws. Uh, they set up the House and the Senate you know, very intelligently and very intentionally to not allow a winner-take-all situation to, to, to happen without, you know, without an awful difficult time getting there. And, and the left has decided that, you know, we've got this kind of divided nation. We're about um, 30% Republican, 30% Democrat, 40% independents. And yet, because of our two-party system, you know, both parties basically controls about 200 seats in the House and a fairly divided Senate, that it's too hard to get things done. And therefore, if we can turn the Supreme Court away from being the check and balance that it's supposed to be, but into a super legislature, gosh, we can do whatever we want. And that has really broken down the, re the, the intention. And John mentioned it, you know, debate and argument over ideas is what has made America the healing society that it's been the last 250 years. It's allowed us to disagree vehemently to the point of even a civil war, but then find solutions. And today, people don't want, you know, people, unfortunately, to, to an extent in both parties, don't look for solutions. They look for how do we get to the next election? And, and I think all of this, this indoctrination, uh, not teaching our children American history um, and, and not talking about compromise is, is leading us in a very bad place and leading us to this cancel culture you know, notion. And uh, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. Well, you know, we, we do not live in the United States of America as a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. There's a huge there's a huge discrepancy, and um, you know our our president, our our uh, Congress, our judicial uh, branch, they they pledge to the Constitution. And just last week, uh, we had a ruling where we had a president. It was checks and balances. There's three branches that was going to spend a half a trillion dollars without approval of Congress. Now, it's plain English that Congress can controls the purse strings. They control the money. And yet you have three judges on the Supreme Court 
that voted for the president to be able to spend money at will. I mean, a, a black and white total uh, abandonment of what the Constitution says. That's how political that the left has gotten the court. But the whole division uh, really goes back to 1918, the Frankfurt Institute, where their goal through 18 to the 60s and 70 was divide, disrupt, divide, disrupt. Then we have the 63 goal of the communists in the congressional report. And so, David, I, I wish I'd interviewed David before I got on camera here because I look at the way you destroy America is you divide it internally. As Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. And uh, it is divide, disrupt, divide, disrupt. Um, and I think it starts, um, you know, with our Constitution, which is the most powerful governance uh, mechanism known to man. And the most powerful governance and interaction with people is the family unit. Um, and if you're going to disrupt and tear apart a country, I think you, you hurt the energy supply, which they've done that. You take away our borders, which they've done that. You hurt our military, which they've done that. And you hurt our Constitution, and you destroy the family nucleus. And I think that's exactly what the left is, is trying to do. Now, I can't quite figure out, is it BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard? Is it the Rothschilds? Is it Soros? I, you know, is it Russia? Is it China? I, I haven't figured out. I mean, Biden's not running the show. No, I mean, sure. somebody, some, there's a puppeteer out there, but I've never been able to, and I, I would love to hear David's input on this. Who's the puppeteer that's actually orchestrating this behind the scenes that they're able to pull off these things that are just hor horrendous to our country? Well, you know, that's a very good question. Ultimately, I think it's pure evil. Well, we're going to be right back with uh, an incredibly fascinating guest in just a minute. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And we're back with Common Sense. The United States of America, very different than other countries of the world. Our very founding document talked about the fact that our rights come from our creator and not from government. And that made us different. And then we wanted to have a government that was of, by, and for the people, that was run on the will of the people. The rest of the world thought we were crazy. You can't run a nation on the will of the people. You've got to have a monarch. You have to have a ruling body. This was ridiculous. By 1831, Alexis de Tocqueville came over here from France uh, because the Europeans wanted somebody to investigate. How could a nation barely 50 years old already be competing with them on virtually every level? They just couldn't <laughs> comprehend how this was going on. And the Tuckfield came over here, and uh, you know he was, he was blown away. 
He looked at our government, separation of powers, the way that we were able to keep checks and balances. He was duly impressed. He looked at our educational system. You could find a mountain man, and the guy could read. The guy knew about the Declaration of Independence. I mean, it was ridiculous. He said, what is going on here? And the kids knew stuff. I mean, if you really want to be impressed, take a look at a sixth grade exit exam from 100 years ago and see what you were expected to know. I'm an optimist, and I always believe in the best. Um, you know, for centuries we've heard it's the end and, you know, they can't sustain this and it's not sustainable. This doesn't feel real good when the liberties and our freedoms are under attack where it's just vicious. And um, I, I, th I wouldn't say we're at the tipping point. It just seems to me that we're toying around with the constitutional principles and what the framers had intended on uh, wording, um, morals, ethics, uh, judgment, and um, principles. And I think we're, we're violating those principles um, and violating the, the Constitution. With that being said, you, we have the, our party, the Republican Party, has so many great people. You know, you got Mark Robinson, you got Byron Donaldson, you got DeSantis, you got Trump. You got, just we have so many great leaders. And Trump has so much institutional knowledge. And uh, what he did for our country, just exposing the left for the, how corrupt that the media was and the deep state was. And, uh, you know, the economy, the border, our military strength. I mean, what the sacrifices that man made for our country, whether you like him or not, have just been unparamount. But he's not going to let things happen the way he had to happen last time. I mean, he, he put some bad people in the wrong spot. Uh, he put some weak people in places that he needed strength. And he didn't understand how vicious Washington and the deep state and the media was. He now understands the game. He's got institutional knowledge. You lower taxes, you get rid of regulation, you free up energy, baby, drill drills, he says. And those are principles that have nothing to do with Democrats and Republicans. That, exactly. Um, you strengthen that border. I mean, Putin's going to back off Ukraine real quick if Trump's in office. I mean, that whether it's 24 hours or not, I don't want to debate that. But I mean, um, you know, Trump, like him or don't like him, he gets things done. I mean, he gets results. So I have a lot of hope for America if we can just get the right people in the right seat on the right bus. I think we can fix this real quick. Uh, that is absolutely true. And if you look back through the history of our country and, uh, you know, some of the outstanding leaders we've had, the courage they've had, uh, I think about uh, JFK during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and I shudder to think if there was a Cuban Missile Crisis today, what we would do. Um, but Abraham Lincoln, I mean, we've had just amazing people at the right time to do things. And I strongly suspect we may get the right person at the right time coming up here very soon because we, we definitely need some help. David, what do you think about that question? Well, I, I, I love the optimism and, and I, I tend to be an optimist. I, I think the earlier point you made about the moral decay and, and the uh, attempt to, to deestablish religion in our society, the, the tribal nature of how, how uh, the, the left and the Democrats would like, like to break the world down so that we can constantly be fighting with each other. And then the, the 
a sense of entitlement that we've given to our young people um, through the education system. I honestly think uh, a, a serious leader like a Ronald Reagan would be able to to slow that down. But at some point, the American people, I think, as a people, have to get behind what you know. They have to have a philosophy, as Ayn Rand said. You know, life without a philosophy is not a life. And uh, you know, we have to philosophically believe in something. And our Constitution for for decades was what what most of us could put our our comfort in that it protected our freedoms and that today the american people are getting you know quite a ways away from and a lot of this is because we don't teach in our elementary and high schools much about the constitution anymore uh, or our form of government or the checks and balances and I, i think we have to find some leadership that can get the american people to start taking these concepts seriously again or else it's too easy for the left to promise things. They never deliver on them, but they continuously move us down this slope. And that's going to be a hard thing to change uh, without some very strong leadership and some changes to our school systems. You know, the one point I would make is people need to remember that the teachers unions do not represent students. They represent a union. One of the teachers union presidents some years ago said, I'll look out for, for kids when they start paying dues to my union. And parents have to take back the education system. I think that'll Absolutely. be critical to, to, to somebody being able to lead us out of this mess. Uh, we will be right back. Stay with us. We'll be right back in one minute with our fascinating guests. Common Sense. You wrote last year uh, a wonderful book detailing a lot of the things about our country. Can you just tell us briefly about that book? Well, it was a book that I co-authored with Adam Brandon, and it was really just trying to get people to go back and understand, you know, America is not perfect. And it's always been a, a, a society that has self-healed and improved over time. And you can see it through the last last two centuries. And it was really just an effort to get people to realize there's a reason why America has been successful. It wasn't an accident. This system has, has, has really unleashed human potential in no other way that, that you know, socialism or, or any other system has never even come close to. And it, it was trying to get people to put it back in perspective that, no, we're not perfect, but compare it to any other country. And then you can make criticisms and we can make adjustments to be better. But, you know, unfortunately, in the current climate, we just want to denigrate our society rather than improve it. And uh, so that was that was the the impetus for it. And just trying to get people to think a little bit more about, you know, we as a people. And we the people, as we close here, need to recognize that we're not each other's enemies. And we should not allow ourselves to be manipulated by those who are trying to drive wedges between us on the basis of race, income, age, religious affiliation, political affiliation, gender, you name it, drive a wedge, try to create chaos and hatred. 
because that's the only thing that will destroy us as a nation. And, you know, cancel culture, that's for the birds. You know, we need to love each other. We need to support each other. That's how we got so strong. In the early days of this country, there were communities, 20 families, 50 families, 100 families, that's all in the whole community. Sometimes they didn't even speak the same language, but they understood the concept of the common good. They understood how to work together to amalgamate their talents and skills. And that's how those communities gained strength. And that's how they grew. And that's how they coalesced to form this great nation. We must remember it is that unity, that courage, that friendship, that vision that made America great and that will make America great once again. Thank you for being with us. We want to thank our wonderful guest, co-host. And remember, the cornerstone principles are going to be faith, liberty, community, and life. And remember to get your podcast at Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Don't miss any episodes. Rate us, review us, tell your friends about us. And let's make sure that common sense is once again common in our country. See you next week.